1954, this is going to shock you. The average burger size in the United States was 3.9 ounces. In 2006, the average burger size, a burger that you would buy at any fast food joint, was 12 ounces. The average burger size, you know, a burger that you would buy at your local fast food joint has exploded and is now three times larger than it was in 1954. So portion sizes have exploded. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Mind Valley podcast. Today's episode is going to be something that's going to be directly applicable to you today. If you do the practices that you're going to learn in this episode, odds are your immunity is going to be higher, you're going to have more energy throughout the day, and your brain is going to be functioning at a far more optimized level. With me is Max Lugavir. He is a filmmaker, a health and science journalist, and author. He wrote the book, Genius Foods Become Smarter, Happier, and More Productive While Protecting Your Brain for Life. And Mike's latest book is now out, The Genius Life, Heal Your Mind, Strengthen Your Body, and Become Extraordinary. Too often, most of us across the world today, we are woefully uneducated in terms of what to put in our body. And so the only type of education we get in terms of what to eat, how to eat, when to eat, comes from advertising. Problem is, this is not in your interest. And so there are rising levels of obesity across the world. Diabetes is shooting up. And this is happening across the planet wherever the American diet takes hold. And so what we're hoping to do in this podcast is shed some light on the truth behind what you put in your body. You are what you eat in every sense of the word. And especially when we're in the midst of a global pandemic, which is killing people, it's important for us to stay alert, to eat well, to keep our immunity high. So to answer the question, what should I be eating so I'm performing at my best, so my immunity is high, so I have the energy to carry me through the day, so I'm in the right emotional states despite the chaos around me, please welcome onto the Mind Valley podcast, Max Lugavir. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Max, thank you so much for joining us. So Max, you know, I interviewed you for Mind Valley about two years ago in New York, and I was just so blown away by your story, so blown away by who you are as a person, how you show up. And I really wanted to bring you back for the Mind Valley podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've dedicated my life to studying nutrition. I got into this when my mother got sick at a young age and developed a form of dementia that lasted for about eight years before she was ultimately diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So I've been very unlucky in my family in terms of health. And so it's, it's driven me to have a really concrete life mission to understanding not only why this happened to my mom and what could be done to prevent it from potentially happening to myself and others that I care about, but to teach this information. Because I feel like, as you mentioned, people are not educated on this topic. And you know, health literacy is just one aspect of modern life that's become sort of dormant due to the sort of one-size-fits-all education paradigm that seems to have pervaded the world. You know, few of us know how to cook. Few of us know how to manage our finances. And you do such a wonderful job with Mind Valley, you know, really educating people on these topics. But my mission really is to get young people, younger people, to open their eyes to the ways that their choices in the supermarket, at checkout, 
in the kitchen, at the dining room table, can really inform their health in a profound way. And not just their health long-term, but their health in the here and now and how they feel in the here and now, how well their brains work, how good they feel from a mental health standpoint. All of these aspects are intricately tied to what we put in our mouths. And so from that axis, I think, you know, immunity is something that now everybody's talking about because around the world, obviously people are struggling with this pandemic, the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus. More and more information is coming out about the virus by the day. But one thing seems to be remarkably clear, it's that if you're generally unwell, you're at much higher risk of morbidity and mortality for this virus. And so what I like to provide people with is information in terms of how they might eat and live in a way that supports their immune function. And so at the foundation of that is really eating a whole foods diet, a diet that centers around whole plants and whole animals that are minimally processed. I think one of the banes of the modern food environment, largely in the United States, you know, it's something that we've developed and we've successfully exported around the globe to the degree that now rising obesity rates are seen in every major developed nation and increasingly in developing nations as well. And the standard American diet is really typified by a preponderance of what are called ultra-processed foods. So these are foods that come in packages, they're convenience foods, they're foods where when you look at the label, the ingredients lists, they're 20, 30, 40 items long, usually with ingredients that you can't pronounce. That makes up 60% of the calories that we now consume every day. And those foods are inherently inflammatory, in part because they drive us to overeat. And when we overeat, it tends to push us into a pro-inflammatory state. And what seems to be the case with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, and I say this as a researcher, not as a clinician, I'm not a medical doctor, but it seems that people that have high baseline levels of inflammation are more inclined to suffer from this cytokine storm, this inflammatory cytokine storm, which seems to be really the root of illness, of you know when people are experiencing extreme complications from this condition, it's usually because they already have had high baseline levels of inflammation. So Max, let me put that in a simple way for people to understand. What you're saying is if we're eating the wrong types of food, it's causing some mild inflammation in our body. Now that inflammation affects our immunity. And it means that if we were to catch a cold virus or COVID-19, we're more likely to get sicker. Yes, exactly. And we prevent our body's ability to fight the virus. Yeah, very well said. I mean, inflammation is something that many of your savvy listeners might have heard the term inflammation. It's sort of a buzz term in the wellness content space. Inflammation is not intrinsically bad. It's not bad. It's in fact a life-saving function of our immune system to inflame an area that has become injured you know, when we sprain an ankle, when we break a bone, if we have an infection, we become inflamed. And that's really a way for our body to fight off infection. Unfortunately, today, our bodies are not responding to the kinds of insults that they would have, you know, when we were roaming around the earth as hunter gatherers, our immune systems are chronically activated, not to germs and broken bones and sprained ankles, but they're being activated by what we're eating and how we're living. And so once we already have that heightened level of immune system, it's like living in a police state. It's like you've got a police state activated in your body. And so any additional insult on top of that, you know, the thinking is the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the novel coronavirus really is the thing that seems to like kick that heightened, you know, police awareness, if you will, in the body 
over to a state of over-response. And that's what leads to problems in people who have this infection. I see. Now, I think what's going on is that most people don't understand just how bad the modern American diet is, right? I mean, this is the country that created McDonald's and Coca-Cola. And those are two pretty common staples of the American diet. But I'd love to know, based on your research, what exactly happens if you are, let's say, ordering a Big Mac and fries and drinking a Coke. Let's start with that because people understand that as a context. What's going on in those scenarios? First of all, the problem with fast food is generally that the food itself is not as satiating as it would be if you were to make it yourself. Because often when we consume fast food, these are shelf-stable products that have been prepared for immediate consumption, but generally they're dehydrated. They're prepared in a certain way that makes them what food scientists call hyperpalatable. So they're just like, they're impossibly delicious. You know, it's the reason why portion sizes have grown ever larger. In fact, you know, Vishen, there was a great statistic that I learned recently. In 1954, this is going to shock you. The average burger size in the United States was 3.9 ounces. In 2006, the average burger size, a burger that you would buy at any fast food joint, was 12 ounces. The average burger size, you know, a burger that you would buy at your local fast food joint has exploded and is now three times larger than it was in 1954. So portion sizes have exploded. These foods are hyperpalatable. They're not all that satiating. And one single fast food meal can account for 1,200 calories. And, you know, that's half of the, if not more. And that's half of the calorie intake of a small size person. So it, it becomes very easy to overeat. So firstly, that is shocking. That's a three times increase. Now that reminds me of the muffin study. So there was a study that showed how muffins, so I used to live in New York and in New York, you can walk into any deli and for breakfast, because I didn't know better 20 years ago, I would order coffee and a muffin. And I noticed living in New York and revisiting New York that the muffins kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And what I read about is that what's going on here is that the manufacturers are in a constant competition to have to compete with each other. And how do they compete? They make their muffins slightly bigger than the competition. The competition overcompensates. And so what happens is the muffins get bigger and bigger and bigger. And because it's happening so slowly, we don't really perceive it as such. So if you suddenly went to McDonald's and they gave you a burger that was three times larger than what you'd expect, you'd go, whoa, I'm not paying for this. I can't eat that stuff. But the fact is right now, we're all eating a burger that's three times larger than the mid-1950s. Yeah. This is a trend that's permeated the food supply. Our portion sizes are getting bigger. Our food is becoming increasingly processed. They're made using increasingly unhealthy ingredients from trans fats to you know, ultra-refined grain products to very unhealthy grain and seed oils like canola oil, corn oil, soybean oil. These are very unhealthy fats. And then you take sugar-sweetened beverages. Just before we get off to the sugar-sweetened beverages, the burger itself, let's say we were eating a burger that's one-third the size, okay? Is that healthy? I mean, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. There's a little bit of veggies on it. There's some cheese. There's bread. There is meat. Surely that's fine. Yeah, there's a certain level of protection that you have in terms of your health by just eating at a calorie deficit. 
I like to talk about specific ingredients and how people should really kind of know what it is that they're putting in their mouths. And I think that that's very important. But, you know, it is true that if you ate a Twinkie a day, but you were consuming the Twinkie in the context of a calorie deficit, you might be a lot better off from the standpoint of health as somebody who was consuming 12 Twinkies a day and was over consuming food and growing their wastes. So yeah, I mean, a three ounce burger in the context of a calorie deficit might not actually be all that bad. And actually, I think that a burger can be healthy if you make certain alterations to that burger. So, you know, I generally will eat pretty big burgers in you know full transparency, but I'm not eating a processed grain refined flour bun and I'm not eating you know red meat that comes from a factory farm. You know, I'm very privileged and then I get to eat grass-fed beef, which I think is actually quite healthy. And I generally don't eat refined white flour because it's not very good for you. So tell us about your burger. What is the ideal burger? Oh man, the ideal burger. Well, generally I won't use a bun because I think most breads, especially most commercial breads are junk food. Most commercial breads are ultra processed foods. Bread sort of has this, you know, when you look to like whole wheat bread, it's got this very high stature in society as being almost like a health food. You know, it's bread is talked about in the Bible. So it's one of humanity's oldest processed foods, but it's a processed food nonetheless. And we have no dietary requirement for grain or for bread or anything like that. And yet bread has become sort of a hallmark in meals around the world. We eat bread with almost every meal and we wrap our foods in it. You know, we eat wheat snacks around the clock. So generally I skip the bread and I'll just use like a lettuce wrap or sometimes I'll find you know, I can go to a supermarket now and there are a number of wonderful brands that are coming out with like these paleo breads that are made using flours that are a lot more nutrient dense. They're a lot more coarse. They don't, you know, spill glucose into the blood, you know, as soon as they're digested. So I think that some of those like paleo breads are interesting, but they can be more expensive admittedly. And I know that, you know, not everybody has access to them. So generally I'll eat a, a burger patty, sometimes on a bowl of dark leafy greens or with a lettuce wrap, which can be great. The lettuce wrap burger is one of my favorites and superbly healthy. Now, next question for you, okay? Because I've seen you post about this. So I really want to answer as many questions as we can. I've seen you post, and I, I thought your post was really revealing, about Impossible Burger. Do you consider that a healthy alternative, especially for people who are vegetarian? I don't because these are ultra-processed foods. They don't have a fraction of the nutrient density as real meat. See, meat, meat has a bad rap, but it's really you know, as our mutual friend Mark Hyman likes to say, it's not the cow, it's the how, you know, if you're getting beef from a factory farm system, and it's been fed corn and soy, and it's been tortured and abused, that meat is probably not going to be ideal for your health. Cows tend to store toxins and unhealthy fatty acids in its fat tissue. So if you're eating a grain fed cow, one way around that is actually to just opt for leaner meat and it becomes a lot healthier. But if you get a cow from a system where it was fed grass for the entirety of its life, it can be extremely healthy. So, you know, I would reach for 100% grass-fed meat, and that's quite healthy. A lot of people are concerned about saturated fat in beef or cholesterol, but these really don't, in isolation, have any negative effect on your health. And in fact, I think the benefits of consuming red meat far outweigh any risks. It's a fantastic source of highly bioavailable minerals like zinc, like iron. It's a great source of creatine, which is important for cognitive health and mental health. It's a great source of protein. It's a great source of omega-3 fatty acids if it's grass-fed. Yeah, I'm just a huge fan of grass-fed beef. That's amazing. That's amazing. So Impossible Burger, what you're saying is 
because I'm speaking to people here who are vegetarian, who have no choice. They cannot eat beef. I grew up in a Hindu family. I didn't really eat beef until I was an adult. And many of our listeners are in India. Mind Valley okay. has a huge following in India. So I'd say about 20% of the people listening to you right now are in India where eating beef is completely taboo. What would be your advice to them? Like, What is a good alternative to beef? I would say whatever protein you're comfortable eating, and you don't have to eat beef. You can be perfectly healthy in pristine health without eating beef. And you know, whatever protein floats your boat, I think that that's a great choice. Chicken is great. And plant-based protein burgers are fine. You want to get comfortable with the ingredients. A lot of them are made with canola oil, soybean oil, processed soy protein and pea protein. And these can actually bring along with them heavy metals heavy metal contaminants in some of these like refined proteins. So I just want people to be sort of cognizant that those are the kinds of foods that you might choose to consume in moderation. Got it. Perfect. Now let's go on to another thing. You gave a beautiful explanation of bread. Let's talk about rice. Is rice okay? I live in Asia right now and I eat rice almost with every meal. Now I eat a smaller portion. How would you speak of rice as a food? Rice is great. It's a very clean starch. I'm so relieved you said that. <laughs> yeah. Well, for people who are overweight, I would say that it's probably a smart idea to reduce your consumption of rice. You don't need rice in every meal. Certainly, it's tasty. It absorbs sauce. It's deeply embedded in some of our cultural cuisines. I generally will only consume rice when I'm eating sushi. In that instance, I will happily consume rice because it's it's delicious. But you know, if you're looking to lose weight, if you have a little bit of insulin resistance. So if you're maybe at risk for type 2 diabetes, I would say it's probably a smart idea to cut out or at least reduce your consumption of rice. But it's a very clean starch. And so, yeah, I'm a fan. And especially if you're overseas, you know, you can eat white rice, you can eat brown rice. Here in the United States, brown rice grown in the South tends to be contaminated with arsenic. So you want to be kind of mindful of where your rice is grown. But if you're in, you know, Southeast Asia, for example, I think you're pretty much in the clear. I Fantastic. And I found the stats that you were talking about. Okay. So this is telling a burger, a McDonald's hamburger in 1955 was roughly 3.7 ounces. It is now 9.7 ounces. A muffin 20 years ago. So we're talking about 20 years. We're literally talking about a muffin in the year 2000 was one and a half ounces. Today it's four ounces. It's massive how sizes are inflating. Let's now go on to soda. You were about to speak about Coke and other common sodas that people might order from. I mean, most people are drinking this casually right now. One of the biggest problems that's happening is, and I'm seeing this in my life as well, so I'm not in any way judging anyone, but a lot of us are stuck at home. I'm watching a lot more Netflix than I normally do. And I have a natural habit when I'm watching TV, it's bonding time with me and my kids and one of the things we often do is we eat a bag of chips or we eat some hummus and dips or we eat chocolate. But I know many people might crack open a can of Coke. Let's talk about that. The calories that you get from a regular Coke, they're empty calories. And in a world today where so many people are overweight, they're over fat, they are struggling with type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes, I would say that an actual, like a real soda is one of the worst things that you can put in your body. Soda sizes have also increased. So in 1955, your average fast food soda was seven ounces. Today, you can go to a fast food restaurant and buy a 38-ounce soda. So that's just, I mean, shocking, right? 
So you really want to be mindful of the calories that you're consuming via sodas, sugar-sweetened beverages, even fruit juices. You want to avoid those. There really is no good fruit juice. You know, they're all just basically sugar extracted from the fibrous matrix of the fruit. Soda is terrible for you. And these are, these are the kinds of foods that really underlie the obesity crisis. So if you want to lose weight, cut these kinds of foods out of your life as best you can and opt instead for water, for non-caloric beverages like unsweetened tea, you know, maybe a, a decaf iced coffee or even a caffeinated iced coffee, depending on what time of day it is. And, you know, I generally don't even recommend diet soda, but if you're addicted to soda, like I know some people can be, the occasional diet soda is not going to be the end of the world if you use that as a tool to wean yourself off of, of drinking regular soda. So Max, let me ask you this. For people who want to get off sugar, are diet sodas okay? Yeah, I think if diet sodas are used as a weaning off tool to get you off of regular soda, if you're still drinking regular soda, then by all means. I don't think that diet soda is the best beverage. I would much rather you drink water, unsweetened tea, decaf coffee, regular coffee, depending on what time of day it is. And there are some studies that suggest that you know increased consumption of diet soda is associated with obesity and even dementia, but that's not concrete evidence really. Those are just correlational studies. So I don't think that they're the end of the world. I don't recommend consuming them, but if they can act for you as a tool to get you off of regular soda, if you're still drinking that, then by all means, go for it. That's fantastic. What I found that has really helped me and my family is switching to sparkling water, getting a soda stream machine in the house and making sparkling water. So now when we watch movies, my kids and I, we just, my kids grew up with no understanding of what Coca-Cola is. When they tasted Coke for the first time, maybe Hayden was nine years old. He wanted to spit it out. He thought it was disgusting, but they love sparkling water. And sparkling water has been an incredible substitute for soda or any other type of beverage that you drink when say you're watching Netflix or you're just trying to relax. I'll give you a little hack of my own. I will often go to the supermarket and I'll buy flavored sparkling waters in cans. I'll buy like, you know, say a sparkling water with a hint of orange or raspberry or whatever. And I also keep in my house a little dropper of vanilla flavored stevia, which you can find easily. You can buy it online. You can buy it at a local natural foods market. And I'll open up the sparkling flavored seltzer and I'll put two or three drops of the vanilla stevia into the can. And it literally turns it into the most delicious soda ever. It satiates the sweet tooth and it has zero calories. It's great. That is amazing. That's amazing. Where can we get stevia from? Stevia is a calorie-free, sugar-free sweetener that you can find online. You can find it you know, at most major supermarkets now. In fact, I've gone to large coffee chains and I've found packets of stevia. I think it's among the safest non-nutritive sweeteners and you can find it now everywhere. And so in some supermarkets, you'll be able to find liquid droppers of stevia that have vanilla flavoring in it or like a hazelnut flavoring in it. And I actually think that those are great to have in your house because it allows you to add that sort of rewarding sweet flavor to foods and desserts you know, that you might create and sparkling waters, as I mentioned, without the addition of extra empty calories that you get from sugar. Now, let's talk about other drinks. I want to show you an ad, okay? This is from Nestle. It's for a drink called Milo. Those of you who've been following me for a while, you know that I went on a war against Nestle and I got Milo to lose their health ratings in Australia and New Zealand. And it became the biggest story in my country, Malaysia. So basically what's going on here is Nestle markets a drink called Milo. Nestle is a Swiss company. They market this drink in the developing world where people are just not 
aware of nutrition. And Milo is 40% sugar. It's on the can, 40% sugar. And Milo is a chocolate product, but it's not actually chocolate. It's made of maltodextrin with chocolate flavoring, 40% sugar that you add to milk or you add to sweetened condensed milk, Nestle sweetened condensed milk. And they claim that this is a drink that children should drink once to two times a day before school. Growing up in Malaysia, like most Malaysian kids, Milo is the most popular drink in Malaysia. I would drink a glass of Milo before going to school, and I would drink a glass of Milo coming back from school. So I want you to watch the ad and tell me what you think. So this ad is in the Philippines. James Reed showing how to beat energy gaps with Milo champion moves. Time to beat energy gap. Let's do champ moves like James. All right, your reaction to that advertisement. Dude, that was, wow. I mean, it was, it's brilliant marketing, but the worst kind, just preying on the ignorance of children. The messaging that you should include it before every school day, before every sporting event, you know, really trying to embed it in our rituals. It's like designed in a lab, focused, grouped, and just really a pervasive, I mean, horrible thing when you talk about how actually unhealthy Milo is. Not only that, but Milo has enough sugar in it, if I'm understanding its ingredients correctly, that is going to actually create that energy gap. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like literally creating the problem, medicating it, and then you're going to fall into that vicious cycle, you know, of just constantly treating the withdrawal that you're experiencing. So did you notice what they said in that ad? Four out of five kids suffer from energy gap. Four out of five kids have it, says James Reed. Well, I mean, it's because kids generally are directly marketed to by junk food manufacturers, by candy manufacturers, by the manufacturers of sugar-sweetened beverages. Because also, when you get them young, these brands know that these deep, lifelong, habitual tastes are very hard to break. So if you get them young, they're going to be lifelong customers. And that is just like, you know, you couldn't make investors more happy than by getting kids hooked on your product at a young age. If you invest in Nestle, seriously, like, please get your money out of that company. I mean, this, this is ridiculous. It's horrible. And I say this because this is personal to me. Nestle is the biggest company in my country. 
obesity rates are rising in my country. 47% of Malaysians over 18 are obese right now. Nestle is the single biggest company in the Malaysian Stock Exchange, and the New York Times did an expose on how Nestle funds the Government Nutritional Institute. So they provide funding to the official body that releases recommendations on what to eat. So this is how Nestle actually hijacks countries. And it is a horrible company that claims to be set on a higher set of values that pulls off shit like that. It is, it's sad and frightening. As you said, they create the problem, then they claim the problem. Oh, four out of five kids have it. Drink Milo. And if you drink a glass of Milo as a child, what you're putting in your body is roughly 15 to 20 grams of sugar in that glass. And that is just pure sugar. It's not counting the maltodextrin, which is the rest of Milo, which gets converted to sugar later on. What do you think that actually does to a child's brain energy levels and faculties? Well, you know, if you think about it, an adult with healthy levels of blood sugar, I mean, you have a small amount of sugar circulating in your veins at any given time. Without that sugar there, you would die. But the amount of sugar at any given time circulating in the veins of a person with healthy levels of blood sugar is about a teaspoon. So that's one teaspoon of sugar at any given time. And your body works very hard to maintain what's called homeostasis. So it works very hard to make sure that that one teaspoon of sugar that's circulating throughout your body to support your brain function doesn't go too high beyond that because then sugar becomes toxic. It's a medical term called glucotoxicity. Basically, sugar can, can become toxic. So when you take a drink like that in a small person that has five teaspoons of pure sugar in it, just picture those five teaspoons of pure sugar into a system that just wants to be holding one teaspoon of sugar, then the body has to go into overdrive to basically mop up the mess. And so in a young and healthy person who has a young and healthy pancreas, you know, beta cells that, that fire on all cylinders, they secrete what's called insulin into the system. And insulin, what happens is it basically tells the cells of your muscles to suck up that sugar. But, you know, if you're a young kid, you don't really have a lot of muscle tissue. You know, if you have yet to go through puberty. So that sugar really has nowhere to go. And insulin acts like a blunt instrument. So it doesn't just bring your sugar levels back down the baseline. It often will cause your blood sugar to actually plummet. And that's what causes that energy gap. So you drink a drink like this as a kid and within, you know, two hours, you're going to need a nap afterwards. Right. And Mark Hyman, Dr. Mark Hyman, who's one of the most famous doctors in America, he has like 11 New York Times bestsellers. I sent him that ad. He said it's the most, I believe his words were, it is the single most devious advertisement he has ever seen. He's gone public saying that on record. But that's what's going on. I wanted to show you exactly why health education and nutritional education is so important. And it's more important now than ever because with COVID-19, this is what we know. We know that 80% of people who get COVID-19 are going to be fine. 20% end up in hospital. And that 20% are people whose immunity is compromised. If you are morbidly obese, right, this is a dangerous time. And I'm saying this because I'm concerned about members of my family growing up in Asia where we grew up in a culture with no health education. It affects your immunity. And it means that when you're in the midst of a global pandemic, this can be dangerous. You want to stay out of hospital. And so it's super important to eat the foods that will keep your immunity high. So we dissected some of the common myths. Now, let's go on to what can we do, Max? Like what are things we should consciously focus on and put in our body during this time? 
definitely eating primarily whole foods are going to give your body the nutrients that your immune system needs to function properly. What you see in processed foods, if you look at the back of these ultra processed foods that we're talking about, you'll see a lot of them have added, they're fortified with vitamins and minerals because processed foods have the natural nutrition that's found in them initially bleached out. But when you eat whole foods, they're not, whole foods are not fortified. They don't have to be fortified because they're just packed with the nutrients that your immune system, that your immune system just loves when you eat whole foods because it provides nutrients like sulfur containing amino acids, which are important for detox. They provide minerals like zinc, which is crucially important for your immune system, you know, especially relevant for COVID-19. So eating a, a diverse array of plants and animals, minimally processed, save for the cooking that you do yourself at home, that's going to be great. But then you can't really talk about immune health without also talking about how important it is to sleep well how important it is to exercise, getting exercise throughout the day, whatever that means for you. Everybody has different fitness levels, but you know, the low-hanging fruit. A lot of us have lost access to gyms, so you know, many of us are doing home workouts these days. You know, push-ups, air squats. I was doing jump squats the other day. I bought myself a little jump rope. Anything that you can do to you know, keep your activity levels up throughout the day are very important. That's going to directly boost your immune system, and it's also going to boost your sleep. And we know that sleep is like a reset button for your immune health. I think also getting vitamin D. We're now seeing a ton of studies coming out showing us that vitamin D deficiency is heavily correlated to worse outcomes in cases of COVID-19. And depending on how dark your complexion is, you know, some of us are very lucky to have you know, dark, beautiful complexions. You're going to need more exposure to the sun because melanin is basically nature's sunscreen. So you're going to produce less vitamin D given the same amount of time in the sun as somebody like me, who is like, you know, when you look at my complexion, it's like looking into a, a bottle of Elmer's glue. So I'm more prone to burning, but I'm going to generate vitamin D quicker because, you know, my ancestry probably came from a northern latitude where there were fewer UVB rays that reached the earth. So it's just simple biology, but you really want to make sure that you're optimizing your vitamin D levels because vitamin D is basically a hormone in the body, which activates 5% of the human genome, a thousand genes, if not more, and many of those genes are involved in healthy immune function. So you're basically handicapping your body in a major way if you don't have sufficient levels of vitamin D. And all it takes is 10 to 20 to 30 minutes in the sun every day. And if you can't do that, a vitamin D supplement, I think, is totally fair game. Amazing. Amazing. I love that advice. Thank you for giving us such a concise method for us to stay aware of how to keep my immunity high. Max, thank you so much for joining us on our show. And for those of you who are watching, I want to recommend... Max's book, The Genius Life. I've previously recommended his first book, Genius Brain, which is a phenomenal book. But now I want you to read The Genius Life. Heal your mind, strengthen your body, and become extraordinary. Max, would you tell us a little bit about this book? So I see it's about heal your mind, strengthen your body, become extraordinary. What are some of the topics that you cover in this book? And why is this book so relevant for our time? Yeah. So the genius life is a full 360 degree lifestyle guide. It's the simple things that you can do every single day that are going to add up to big health wins and you'll feel them immediately. So everything from how to optimize your vitamin D levels and what range to aim for, how to optimize your body's circadian rhythm so that you have lots of energy during the day. And then you sleep well at night, which is all you know regulated by these clocks that we have in our brains and in our genes. So it's going to teach you how to optimize that in a very simple and straightforward way. It talks about food and how to eat in a way that's going to help you maintain your most optimal body composition, whether that means losing fat or gaining muscle. It spells it out in a way that's simple, backed and rooted in science, but also made very practical for people. 
And I also give tips in terms of my dietary recommendations for how to save money when you're shopping. Because I know that this is a major thing for people. I don't want to make the mistake of offering recommendations that, you know, 1% of the population can afford. So I want people of all socioeconomic quadrants to be able to afford these recommendations and to buy food that's going to nourish their bodies that they can afford. And so the book is really very complete in terms of all that. That's amazing. I can't wait to read the book. I loved your first book. And Max, thank you so much for serving our community. Thank you so much for your incredible advice. I uh, love having you on Mind Valley. I think this is your second or third appearance. And I just want to highly recommend your work. And you know, those of you who follow me on Instagram, you'll see that at least twice so far, I've put up Max's post. I've shared Max's post and I've said, follow this man. And that's because I really believe in his work and I really believe in why he does it. What we didn't have time to cover in this podcast is Max's backstory, how he went deep into nutritional research to help heal his mom. And that story is so touching. You will learn about it in his first book, Genius Foods. It's a beautiful story. This is why I'm such a supporter of Max, because I see that what he does is coming from a big heart and a desire to ensure that all of us get to live our healthiest lives well into our elder years. Thank you so much, Max. Thank you, Vishen. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.